And if you have a copy of God's Word with you this evening, I invite you to open up to the first letter to the Thessalonian church. Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 2 this evening, a text which I think uh, goes along very well with what we've been seeing in 1 John about loving the brothers as, as Paul gives uh, an explanation of his work amongst the Thessalonians uh, in delivering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. I'd like to go ahead and begin in verse 1, reading this evening, and that'll give us a little bit of context uh, for the passage which we'll be focusing on this evening in verses 5 through 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray that you would do this this evening as we come to your word, that you would equip us for every good work so that we might be good and faithful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have ever considered the motivations which drive you in everyday life. What your motivations are in relationships, what your motivations are in actions that you take, what drives you as a person. Many people are motivated by things like money or power. Other people are motivated by those things which we uh, might deem to be loftier things, love, affection for others. What motivates you as people? What motivates you in your relationship with others? This is something which Paul tangentially addresses in our text this evening when he tells us of his motivations for bringing the gospel to the Thessalonian church. 
See, much of this uh, portion of the book of 1 Thessalonians is Paul's apology to the Thessalonians. Now, that's not apology as in he is asking their forgiveness for something. This is apology as in a defense. Same word which we use in our uh, apologetics, a defense of the faith. Paul is defending his actions to the Thessalonians. And to understand why he's doing this, it's a good thing for us to look at a little bit of uh, textual and historical context this evening. And that will show us a little bit of what Paul was doing. Paul's work among the Thessalonians or, or to the Thessalonians is told to us in kind of a brief section in the book of Acts in chapter 17. I think, uh, unfortunately, the work which Paul did amongst the Thessalonians is maybe overshadowed by his work done in another place, Berea, because the Bereans are called more noble than the Thessalonians. But Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica to spread the gospel. We read in Acts chapter 17 that when they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And then Luke records later that Paul and Silas were uh, sent from Thessalonica. So in a span of three weeks, three short weeks, the Apostle Paul brought the gospel to the Thessalonians, and many of them were converted. But he had to leave quickly, and that's one of the reasons why Paul writes this letter, which we'll look at this evening, to the Thessalonian church. He had to leave quickly. He was not able to linger and minister to them as he desired to do, but he had to flee. And in his absence, seems that many people were starting to... Uh, whisper things about Paul and Silas to the church in Thessalonia. Oh, Paul left quickly because he was just using you. Paul left quickly because he doesn't actually love the church here. Paul left quickly because he just cares about Paul. So in our text this evening, Paul is in the middle of defending his work amongst the Thessalonians and reminding them that he, as an apostle, as a servant of Christ, and as their brother in the Lord, has great affection for them. He loves them. And Paul's love gives us an example of how we should behave and the things that should motivate us as we seek to love one another. Paul, in these few verses, essentially shows us that proper Christian conduct is not based in self-seeking thoughts or words or deeds, but rather it's based in sacrificial gentleness and love. Proper Christian conduct is not based uh, 
in self-seeking thoughts, words, or deeds. But it is based in sacrificial gentleness and love. And those are the two uh, broad categories that we'll look at, the two broad categories that Paul sets out for us in, in just four brief verses. First, that it's, Christian conduct is not based in self-seeking. We see that in verses 5 and 6. And then we see Christian conduct, as displayed by Paul, is demonstrated in sacrificial gentleness and love. We see that in verses 7 and 8. So with those things in mind, let's turn to the word of God and, and see how Paul defends himself and shows us how we ought to behave as we follow him, even as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. We read there, the beginning of, of this section of Paul's defense. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In those two verses, Paul sets out for us three things that he did not do. First, he did not come to the Thessalonians with self-seeking speech. We see that at the beginning of verse 5 when he writes, We never came with words of flattery. Well, what is flattery? This is probably one of those words that maybe we don't have a, a good working definition of it, but we know it when we hear it. Well, flattery is probably best defined as giving someone excessive compliments in order to get something in return. You see, compliments are, are a good and proper thing. When uh, the pianist plays well for us on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, it's very good for us to thank them for their work and to say, that sounded really nice. Thank you for that. That was very helpful as you helped us to worship. That's a compliment, and that's a good thing and a noble thing and something which we ought to do in order to build one another up. We should offer compliments when they are appropriate. But flattery, flattery is giving compliments so that people say good things about you back to you. It's self-seeking. It's insincere. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians that when he came to them to preach the gospel to them, he didn't come saying, oh, Thessalonians, you're all so wise. You're all so noble. You're fantastic people. You're just great. Why don't you come and join the church? Follow Christ. You're, you're just the best. It really would be appropriate for you to, to join the church because of you uh, and how great you are. No, Paul tells the Thessalonians, he, he never came to them in that way. And he didn't come to them offering them uh, flattery so that he could get something in return. That's what Paul's detractors were, were claiming, seemingly, that, that Paul came to the Thessalonians because Paul wanted money or a following, or Paul wanted everyone to tell him how great he was. Paul came and preached to the Thessalonians, these people would say, because he wants you to tell him that he's a great preacher. He's a great rhetorician. Paul is eloquent and noble. That's, that's what Paul wants you to tell him. Paul reminds them, 
No, that's not why I came. And he reminds them that they know this firsthand. Look at the second uh, part of the first half of verse 5. He says that he didn't come with words of flattery. As you know, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they very well experienced a lack of flattery on his part. What did Paul say to them when he preached the gospel to them? He didn't say, oh, Thessalonians, you're just a fantastic and wonderful people. He told them the truth. He said, you are guilty before the living and true God. You must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other hope for you. He did not say, oh, Thessalonians, you can earn your way to God. He said, you're headed to hell. You're headed to hell. Turn to God. Flee to Christ. Those are the words which Paul used. And he reminds the Thessalonians of this. They are well aware. If they think back to his preaching the gospel to them, they are well aware that he never offered any kind of flattery towards them. He told them the truth. And nothing but the truth. So he reminds them there was no self-seeking speech in his presentation of the gospel. He also tells them that there was no self-seeking motivation in his heart, no self-seeking thoughts in his mind. In the second half of verse 5, he reminds them that he did not come with a pretext for greed. This is another thing that those who were speaking against Paul were telling the church. They said, well, Maybe Paul didn't come flattering you, but he did come because he wanted money. Paul doesn't really care about your your souls. He doesn't care about your eternal well-being. He wants you to join his he wanted you to join his church so that you would bring tithes and offerings and Paul could get rich. That's all that was. It was just a money-making scheme on Paul's part. Paul reminds them, "No. No, I didn't come with greed." I'm sure the Thessalonians also knew that Paul was a part-time tent maker. He was earning his own way so that he would be free to proclaim the gospel everywhere he went. But while exterior actions might have shown that Paul was not preaching the gospel uh, with the motivation of greed, the, the desire to enrich himself through the word of God, we don't know men's hearts. We can't see into the the minds of other people. We don't know their true motivations. And so the Thessalonians, I'm sure it points, thought, well, maybe, maybe that is why Paul was preaching to us. Maybe he doesn't really love us. Maybe he did want to just get rich. So what does Paul say about this? He reminds them he didn't come with pretext for greed. And then he calls upon the one who does know the heart and mind of men as his witness. There in the very end of verse 5, he says he didn't come with the pretext for greed. God is witness. He reminds the Thessalonians, you know firsthand that I didn't come flattering you. You might not know that my heart was not motivated by greed, but God knows. God knows my heart and mind. God knows my thoughts. God knows that I never came to preach the gospel to you out of a desire for financial gain. See, Paul appeals to the greatest witness that could possibly be appealed to. 
Paul says essentially to the Thessalonians, if I'm lying to you here, I'm, I'm lying before the judge of all the earth who will do right. This is an incredibly solemn appeal. This is uh, possibly the most solemn appeal that, that any of us could ever even think of. God knows my thoughts. May God strike me dead if I'm lying, Paul says. And he says this to remind the Thessalonian church that he did not come out of self-seeking motives. But while he might not have used self-seeking speech and he might not have come with self-seeking motives, maybe, maybe as all of his opponents were saying, Paul came seeking glory. He came uh, with self-seeking deeds or or actions so that he could uh, have a lot of uh, honor and glory amongst men. Uh, Paul responds to that as well in verse 6. He writes, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. See, Paul never came flattering people, appealing to uh, their pride to get them to believe in the gospel. He never came out of a motivation for greed, seeking to get them to join the church just so he could be enriched. He never came to the Thessalonians preaching the gospel Because he wanted to have power over people. That was not Paul's motivation. He didn't seek glory. He didn't seek honor. He was not seeking a following for himself. He was seeking followers of Christ. Knowing that the Lord had his people in that city. He was seeking to proclaim the gospel to all who would respond in in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it wasn't for Paul. It was not for his glory. It was for the glory of the Lord. And he says there at the end of verse 6, he didn't seek glory, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Essentially, Paul is saying here that on the basis of his apostolic authority, he could have demanded that people listen to him and submit. He was a man called by the risen Christ. He was commissioned by the Lord of glory to go to the Gentiles and call them to repent and believe. Paul says, I didn't come to you with that kind of attitude, did I? I didn't come making demands. You can think of uh, the, the text in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that says that elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. Paul did not come to the Thessalonians saying, I'm worthy of double honor. You have to listen to me. How did Paul and Silas come to the Thessalonians? Well, they came in gentleness and, and kindness, and they came seeking to, to rule well, as it were, as apostles, but in order to give to them the life-giving words of the gospel, that all who come to Christ receive forgiveness of their sins. 
Paul didn't make any demands. He wasn't seeking money. He wasn't seeking any kind of, of flattery. He wasn't seeking things for himself. There was no self-centered motivation in Paul's actions towards the Thess- Thessalonians. No, it was, it was solely for the glory and honor of God. And this sets an example for us, doesn't it? Paul does say, follow me even as I follow Christ, and so we ought to. We ought to look at the examples of godly men and women in Scripture and say, well, I should be acting like that as well. And so how can we do this? Well, first, don't use flattery. I think that's fairly self-evident, is it? But there's always a temptation to use flattery in our speech, isn't there? We want people to like us, don't we? And an easy way to get people to like us is to tell them how great they are. And then they'll like us, and then they'll tell us how great we are, and everybody can just feel happy. We're not supposed to speak that way. We are supposed to encourage one another and build each other up. We're supposed to point one another to Christ. And when we see evidences of gifts and graces in each other's life, we're supposed to praise God for that. Tell people, I'm seeing the Lord's work in your life for their encouragement, and so they want to serve the Lord more. We're supposed to do that, not flatter each other. No, we're supposed to to speak truthfully, forthrightly, as Christians ought to. I think there's also maybe particular application to church officers here in this text and those who maybe will be church officers, young men. It is, I think, the prayer of, of many, myself and, and, and other officers in this church, that, that you would grow up in godliness and perhaps the Lord would even use you as officers in his church to be blessings to his church. Think on this, you young men and you older men who might also be officers, either now or in the future. Officers of the church are not to seek the office as a means of enrichment or a means of power or as a means of getting uh, glory for themselves or a following or, or anything like that. The Lord calls you to be an officer in his church. He calls you to be more than others, humble, willing to lay down your lives for the church, for the people of God, not to abuse authority or rule over the church with a rod of iron or wield the budget as a bludgeon or anything like that. No, officers in the church are to serve Christ and glorify him in their actions, not to be self-seeking or to use the office for self-seeking means. How are we to act then? Paul tells us he didn't act in self-seeking speech or thought or actions, and we shouldn't do that. How should we act? How did Paul act? He acted with sacrificial gentleness and love, as we see in verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. Paul writes there, but giving us this contrast— We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own 
children. A bit of historical context will show us how great a, an illustration Paul uses here. In this period of time in the ancient world, it was very popular for women to hire wet nurses to take care of their children. There's a whole industry of wet nurses. These women who were given money, and in exchange they would feed the child and take care of it, and the mother was left alone to do whatever she wanted to do, to live her life. They could, the, the man and the woman could have their heir, but they didn't really have to do a whole lot uh, to take care of him. Paul reminds the Thessalonians his attitude towards them is not that of a wet nurse. His attitude towards them is that of a natural mother caring for her own children. He reminds them that his love for them is not one that had to be bought, had to be paid for, had to be imported. He loves them because they are Christ's people. And so he is gentle to them, caring for them, bringing the gospel to them, and telling them of the great and glorious Savior who could save their. See, a wet nurse does their job for money. A, a mother does her job out of love and a desire for the well-being of the children. Paul did his job not for money, but out of a desire for the well-being of the Thessalonians. That was his gentleness towards them. A nurturing, providing, mothering, even care towards them. Well, this is quite an amazing illustration, isn't it? That Paul's love for these people whom he just spent three weeks with was so deep and, and affectionate that he says to them, I wish I could be there caring for you. He tells them later in, in the book that how, uh, how torn he was, that he was separated from them and, and how greatly he desired to be back among them. You read through the rest of, of the epistle, you see Paul's love reiterated for these people, and he greatly desired to be with them, to minister to them, to continue to tell them of Christ, because he wanted them to be nurtured in Christ, taught in Christ, growing to full maturity in Christ. Same way that a mother desires for her children to be nurtured. To grow strong. Paul came to them gently with a great desire for their well-being and good. The great desire that they would come to Christ and grow in Christ and arrive at maturity in Christ so that they would be faithful servants of Christ. That was Paul's desire for them, but he does not just stop at telling them that he and, and Silas were gentle among them. He also reminds them of how uh, much he loves them. 
in verse 8. The great affection which he had for them. We read in verse 8, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So he begins and ends this verse, excuse me, with, with the statements of his great love for them. He says he was affectionately desirous of them. Uh, that could also be phrased that uh, he had very fond affection for them. And he closes it telling them how dear they were to him. How, how closely uh, knit his heart was to them in those three weeks that he saw them come to faith in Christ. How much he, he loved his little brothers and sisters in Christ. That he wanted to be with them. He had fond affection. They were dear to him. This is a statement of, of his great love for them. And how was this great love demonstrated? Paul reminds them that his fond affection for them and the reason they were so dear to him is because he and Silas were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very own selves. The fruit of Paul's love for the Thessalonians was proclamation of the gospel and even the giving of his life. I think this demonstrates how Paul, I think, had he not been sent away by the Christians, how he would have very gladly stayed in Thessalonica in spite of the persecution. He stayed in other places in spite of persecution. Paul wanted these dear Christians to grow in faith. He would have given his life for them, even as he brought the gospel to them, because he loved them with the love of the Lord. That supernatural love that the Spirit gives to God's people that, that causes us to seek the well-being of others. A quote, which I read in preparing for this, says, there's no method in which we can show so strong an interest and benevolence to others as to go to them and tell them of the way they may be rescued from everlasting ruin through Christ. There is no better way to love another person than to proclaim grace found in Christ to them. The world may look at our proclamation of the gospel, our warnings to flee the wrath to come, and say, stop shoving your religion down my throat. Because they don't understand this is the highest expression of love that the Christian has. I do not want you to perish. I want you to have everlasting life in Christ. Please. Please come to him. That is the love which Paul showed to the Thessalonian Christians. And if we are following Paul's example, if we're seeing in uh, his, uh, his actions a role model which we ought to follow after we can say that we too should have this kind of fond affection for others. We too ought to ask the Lord to uh, stir up in us love for others so that we might have boldness to proclaim the gospel. Beloved, it's a scary thing to tell people about Jesus, isn't it? You never know how they're going to respond. 
they might respond positively. They might tell you, thank you. I didn't know this before. You've warned me. Thank you. And they might turn to Christ in faith. And what a joy that is. They might respond with indifference, which I think might be more discouraging than when they, res- than when they respond with hostility. If they respond with hostility, at least you know that they paid attention to what you were saying. Some people just respond with indifference and say, well, that's nice. I'll move on with my life. But we ought to have this love for them, which overcomes that fear which we have in sharing the gospel. And how do we get this love? Again, my friends, this is something which is only by the grace of God. This is only something that the Holy Spirit can produce in us, and so we ought to pray and ask him to produce this work in us. Only through the Spirit can we have gentleness towards one another and and seek for each other's well-being and growth in the gospel. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit can we have boldness to have fond affection for others, to give them the gospel and our own lives. But the Spirit can and does give us this grace, doesn't he? So we ought to seek the Lord and ask for him to give us this grace, even as he gave it to the Apostle Paul, who had sacrificial gentleness and love for the Thessalonians, who did not come to them with self-seeking speech or or self-seeking thought or self-seeking action, but came to them to proclaim the gospel to them, to seek their well-being and good. And Paul's example shows us that proper Christian conduct It's not based in things like self-seeking thought or word or deeds, but rather in the sacrificial gentleness and love which the Spirit produces in God's people for their good, for his glory, and for the praise of his name. Let us ask him to produce those gifts and graces in our lives, even as we go to him now in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for this example which we see in the life of Paul, that he came to the Thessalonian church out of love to proclaim to them the glorious gospel of Christ. We thank you, O Lord, that you were pleased to use this gospel, that by your Holy Spirit you brought many to faith. And we thank you that you used the Apostle Paul to... uh, bring the gospel to the Thessalonians and then brought these other circumstances into his life so that he would be able to write these inspired words and and show us an example of how we may behave as your people. Lord, we do ask that you would remove from us any self-seeking thoughts, that you would remove from us any self-seeking speech, any self-seeking actions. We ask that you would Give to us that great love which we should have for one another, even a great love which mirrors the great love which you had for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We pray that you would do this for your glory and honor, and we ask in Christ's name, amen.